I, I don't, haven't gotten to come up here in a, in a couple months, um, partly because Amy and I were on sabbatical uh, for about, for eight weeks. We were like traveling and doing all kinds of great stuff together. And, um, and so I, I haven't seen you probably in a, about four or five months but I, I just want to encourage you, like some of you knew I was, I was traveling and, and, and gone, and I think this is a big idea, that the fact that the lead pastor could go away and could kind of restore his soul and the soul of his family and then lift his eyes to look at what is next, what God is doing in our churches together, what God wants to do in our city together. I'm so grateful for Pastor Russ, Pastor Brent, Pastor Alan, Pastor Logan, so many people just staying steady and the church grows. Hey, thank God, the church grew while I was gone. I was thinking maybe I would leave more often. But I'm so grateful for your consistency and your stability and your faithfulness. Thank you so much here out in Lake Travis, and I think greater days are ahead. So uh, if, you have, uh, if you don't have message notes, I think that the ushers may have some. Do you guys have, um, you may need one, and you just raise your hand, and they'll run up here. Uh, yeah, just run up here, guys, and if you need message notes, they will give it to you, give them to you. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, continue our series called You Asked For It. Everybody say, you asked for it. Yeah, and that means you asked for it. I didn't ask for it. We did a survey on Easter Sunday this year, and that survey kind of asked you, what do you need to hear about? What do you want to have us talk about? What do you need to know in your spiritual life? And so we took the top four answers, and we're doing a little mini-series here called You Ask For It. And last week, we spoke about uh, dealing with difficult people. It was awesome because some of the difficult people were sitting right next to you. And it was so, it was a great message. If you want to see it, you can go uh, online at onechapel.com and uh, watch any of the podcasts from the last few weeks. But th today, we're going to go to our next subject. And the, the third most popular subject was marriage, family, and relationships. Now, there's no way you can cover that huge umbrella topic in one message. So we're planning some other messages here soon to deal with each of those topics, uh, especially uh, marriage and family. But today, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you a little bit about how um, relationships actually work. I'm going to talk to you about the, the genesis, the seeds of great relationships. I, I don't know about you, but I, I think the, the most important lessons we learn in life start to happen. Those lessons start to occur about two or three years old. The first lessons of all of our lives start to happen in our family. Lessons on justice. Have you ever heard your kids say, that's not fair? Lessons on selfishness. Lessons on personal responsibility, lessons on how to treat people, lessons on compassion, lessons on forgiveness. They all start happening very, very young, and they happen in the context of a family. And of course, we live in a society that's broken, busted wide open by divorce and by so much dysfunction. And so it's so important for us to restore the family uh, 
ideas, the, the ideas of how people live together. And I think we got to ask ourselves, who's going to do it in our society? Who's going to do it in our culture? Our church has to do it. We have to learn how to live like a family. And so, um, so I, I was thinking about my family, and I have five kids, and uh, the oldest is 23 and the youngest is 11, about to turn 11, and, uh, and it's a wide swath of, every, we got everybody uh, in, in one generational thing. You got uh, elementary, we got junior high, we got high school, and then we got people who are out of that. And so it's a little bit of uh, craziness around our house. But I remember our oldest child, I think, was five years old. We were on vacation in uh, Colorado, in Breckenridge, Colorado, I think. We were walking down the street. We're just visiting shops. And my oldest son, Zachary, had just recently learned how to ride a bike. So he was super excited about bikes. And, and so he, he, he was walking down the street, and, and we're all looking in shops, and he kind of just wonders about, I don't know, 25 feet away and sees this kid that has a bike. And it's a shiny bike. And he goes up to the kid, and he actually says this. I think he was with his grandpa as he was wandering down the street, and he goes up to the kid, right up to the kid, and says, hey, do you want to be my friend? <laughs> and the kid said, sure. And Zachary looked at him and said, give me your bike. <laughs> In his five-year-old mind, there was like this, this bridge that he needed to build <laughs> in order to get the bike. <laughs> And I think so much of the time, we become guilty of these kinds of mistakes and failures with relationships. We, we build them because we want something. We build them because we are trying to get something. We build them for the wrong reasons. And so we, we, they, they mess with our motives. I want you to look at your message notes. There's one phrase that I want you to get here. And I want you to fill in the blanks of this sentence because this sentence will change your life if you get the truth of it. It says, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you have done the work of becoming whole on your own. If you try to build intimacy, in other words, relationships with another person, before you've done the work of becoming whole, of becoming your own person, on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. All your attempt at relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Why is this important for us to get? Because no one was designed to complete you. No one was designed to complete you. Jerry Maguire was wrong. Jerry Maguire is a movie, it's uh, romantics everywhere, quote it, it's an incredible story of this guy, and we're just going to watch a brief clip of it, and you'll see what I mean. Our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. 
I miss mom. I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I'm just had shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. It's the best. <laughs> you just feel all warm inside, don't you? One of the best romantic movies, second only to The Notebook. We won't go there. Here's the problem. The problem with this ideology, the problem with looking at life the way that Jerry Maguire's looking at it, is no one's designed to complete you, and your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. And so if you want to be healthy in your marriage, if you want to have healthy relationships in your family, if you want to have friends, that don't avoid you. <laughs> if you want to have friends that, are, that fill your life with meaning and, and fulfillment, you have, to, you have to have, I think, three things working in your own soul, in your own heart. You have to, you have to understand, you have to lock into these three ideas. It's, it's, we're not going to talk too long this morning, but I want you to get these. Number one is profound significance. Your profound significance. The significance that you have as a person. God loves you as if there was nobody else on the planet to love. It's one thing to know this in your head. Most of you have some experience with Sunday school or some context where you learn these lessons and you get it here, but most of us don't get it down here. The distance between your head and your heart is a distance that is so long of a journey sometimes. Statistics tell us that 73%, check this out, 73% of our thoughts fall into the negative self-talk. 73% of us are talking negatively to ourselves. This thing goes around in our heads. It's tapes from our history and our past and, 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 and experiences and memories and hurts and wounds. And so th this is, it's so important for us to overcome these things. There's a, there's a, a neuroscientist, um, a brain researcher, her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and um, she said in her book called Switch on Your Brain, she said this, if you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. She goes into the idea of what happens chemically in your brain as you think toxic thoughts. I encourage you to check out that book, Switch on Your Brain. Negative self-talk is the opposite of positivity and imagination and vision and confidence that only comes from something called faith, right? 
You got to know that you're deeply loved by someone who does not complete you, but who created you, has redeemed you, and then recreated you in his own image. Most of us simply don't believe what God says about us. I've I've got a little thing for you that you can take home. If you want to text one chapel to 313131 right now, you you can get a link to a, a list of what God says about you, a list that you should put up on your mirror and you should rehearse it every day, a list of what the Bible says to you. You could simply take your iPhone out or your Android out or your mobile device, whatever it is, and, and just text one chapel to 313131. It'll come up in your text stream and then you just save it to your camera roll and some of you have no idea what I just said. So, so, <laughs> so, so it, I, 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 I think we, I think we though need more input from God's word and more input from who He says we are. There's a movement in our culture to try to build self-esteem through placing value on us. The problem is n- nobody understands what value is. You can't. And, and I think the problem is you can't think your way into being significant. I'm significant. I'm significant. I'm, I'm awesome just the way I am. You know what the problem with that is? Most of us are not awesome. Most of us are totally messed up. Most of us got all this stuff going on in our lives, and we know inherently, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. And you know what? That's true of every human, and that's why we need a Savior. The Savior comes and he takes over. He begins to pour out love in our lives. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says this, and I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, which is a modern-day translation. It says, and I ask him, this is Paul, and he's praying a prayer, and he says, I'm praying that God, that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. This is what God wants for you and me. But it's got to start with understanding who you are. Most of us end up trying to find our significance in our accomplishments or our possessions or our, des- our own desires of what we can do. Um, this is so empty. We get caught up trying to fill the deep hole in our our souls. We fill it up with other people. We fill it up with possessions. We fill it up with boats and cars and, and all kinds of career accomplishments. But it's a sad and temporary replacement for the love of God that forgives us, heals us, and transforms us, transforms our thinking. You know, over my sabbatical, while I was gone, I got in touch again as a pastor with the love of God. Hey, I want to let you know something. Pastors are people too. They have this self-talk that goes on inside of them. All of us need to be convinced that we're loved. Not for our performance. Not for how big the church is. Not for our latest number of baptisms. But because we are God's kids. I got in touch with how incredible the love of God is in my life. I got um, uh, overwhelmed with a sense of his value on me, my value to him. 
You know, you can't tell the value of a thing unless you know the price that's willing to be paid for it. People all over America tried to pay-per-view the Mayweather-McGregor fight last night. (laughs) How many people watched it? Come on, be honest. Yep, I did. I had a little group of people. And the question is, how much was it worth? You know, if you're going to pay 100 bucks, that fight better be worth it. (laughs) Unfortunately, you don't know, so you have to give the 100 bucks (laughs) before you know if it's going to be over in 60 seconds. In some ways, this is how Jesus treats us. He pays a huge price, huge price for you and for me, not knowing exactly how you're going to respond to it. But he pours out his love to us. And I think when you, when you, when you go on sabbatical, you know, you, you kind of go away and it takes about four weeks to get all the stuff out of your head that you've been doing and, and, and you kind of leave it behind and, and then finally you get to that four-week mark and you're like, oh, there's no, I have no more decisions I'm trying to make. I have no more, I have nothing else that I have to do. And then I am left with myself. <laughs> and the sad part is that's where it gets really scary. But that experience kind of reignited in my soul. And I started looking up like scriptures. I started working. My, my wife and I would have long discussions about how we wanted to live our lives. And we had to think about that in the light of God's great love for us, not in the, not in the light of some kind of sense of accomplishment. As a perfectionist, I've often struggled with the sense of not measuring up. That's just part of my temperament. But I've read this incredible book by Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God. The Rest of God. I I encourage you to read uh, that book as well. But it's it's about dealing with Sabbath and and what that looks like and, and the value of it. Here's what he said. He said, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God, the rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much as we see, Sabbath imparts the rest of God. Actual, physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature, and the presence that we miss in our busyness. Sabbath is so much more about getting in touch with your value to God just as you are. It's no wonder people don't understand their significance in God. We're so busy. We're running here, running there. Listen, I want to tell you, I want you to get this. As you leave today, I want you to be thinking about this. You are not just a tool in God's hands. I know, a bunch of you grew up with the idea of, God, use me. I'm not sure that's great language. Because using, God doesn't use people, right? He doesn't use them. The Bible teaches us he collaborates with them. 
They have profound significance to him. So he includes them in his plan and his purposes. He doesn't use them as much as he walks alongside them and co-labors with them and pulls us into what he's doing and lets us participate. This is what you have to understand. <laughs> you are not a tool. It's profound, I know. Write it down in your notes. Come on, you'll take it home. You'll put it on your mirror. It'll be awesome. You are not a tool. I know some, so we don't have relationships with tools. Some men do, but it's bad. It's, nobody has relationships with tools. God has a relationship with people. And, and we, all of us, have to see ourselves through the lens of his love rather than the filter of fear. The lens of love versus the filter of fear. The lens of mercy and grace versus the filter of performance and guilt. This is the gospel. 1 John 4, 15 through 16 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the journey of every Christian, of every human. Number two idea that I want you to take away today about how the seeds of your own, your own health, your own emotional health, your own spiritual health, your own, your own intellectual health, it affects every relationship around you. The second thing you have to lock in on is unswerving authenticity. Unswerving authenticity. Your profound significance has to do with your relationship with God, but authenticity has to do with your relationship with you. That's self-talk. So many of us have the disease to please. The disease to please. Amy and I talked a lot about this on sabbatical, and so we're trying this new thing. I want to tell you about it. It's like a new thing that we're trying because we're kind of people pleasers. There's this new thing we're, we're trying on, and it's called disappointing people. <laughs> it's a, it, there, there's something that has to be in our soul. Um, Stephen Covey, the great writer of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says, he says, in order to say no, you have to have a greater Yes. No is a hard word to say. You've got to have a greater yes motivating you. And I think that's what every Christian has to have, a yes in who God made me to be. That it's okay for me to please Him rather than to please people. Because sometimes those don't go together. The person who is healthy, they know their purpose, they know their weaknesses, they know their strengths, they've found a place of deep satisfaction and security where they can be who God made them to be. And so no matter what people think, no matter what people say, that that person continues to move forward with what God has called them to do. Here's what Ephesians 4.1 says, again, in the message translation. It says, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. We have a saying here at One Chapel, and it is, we help people move. Everybody say move. So you can't stay stagnant with God. You can't, you can't just get stuck. You got you to keep moving. We help people move. <laughs> some of you are thinking, well, you pull up trucks and you load people up, you help them. 
when they're, no, we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Whether you're a, a new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, you're moving towards him. And I think that the only way you can do that is if you understand who you are and where you are in the journey. And we believe that everybody has a, a gift, a talent. Everybody has something that they, they offer to God because they're unique and it's their authentic selves that we have to bring to this community in order for there to be real relationships, walking alongside of one another together. We'll never be able to have honest and vulnerable relationships, which are the secret to health, with our spouse, with our family, with our church, with our friends, until we find confidence in being the person God's made us to be. Brene Brown, the author of Daring Greatly, she's a brilliant author uh, I recommend this book as well. It says, she says, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect, notice that, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Pastor Russ can stand up here and tell you to be in community all you want, all you want him to, all he wants to. But if there's something broken on the inside when you come to that community and then you close down and then there's no way for you to be vulnerable and honest with your imperfect self, then it's going to be difficult for anybody to walk with you in your journey towards God because you won't let him in. You won't let him help you. Listen, we've got to settle the fact that all of us are carrying around a bunch of baggage. Sometimes we need people's help to, to put those bags down that we all have imperfections that must be shared as we go along the way of community. And that's where the greatest and deepest and most wonderful work of Christ is in our lives. But it starts with you settling, you have to be your authentic self. But then you look at me and you say, well, that sounds great, Pastor Ross. What if you're just authentically bad? <laughs> that was supposed to be funnier than I thought when I put it through my head. What? I'm not suggesting that it's okay to be who we are without regard to our Creator. To be who you think you should be or want to be or who you are. I'm not talking about not considering the relationships around you and insisting on them accepting everything that you naturally gravitate to. I'm not suggesting that Everything we are, without questions, without implications or challenges, is, is, is good. Yeah, there's some, there's some stuff in here that needs to be worked out. See, but hiding, insisting on your way without God's intervention or without the intervention of others, that's not authenticity. That's selfishness. Selfishness insists on a predetermined outcome. This is who I'm going to be. Hey, this is who I am, so get used to it. You ever heard anybody do something like that? <laughs> yeah, amen. You, you're like, well, this is who I am, so if you don't like it, I mean, if, if you don't support who I am, then we can't be friends. Nothing could be further from the truth of the way the gospel works, right? Like, like, like it's such a lie of our society that they are kind of pushing forward this idea that if I disagree with you, that somehow I can't love you. It's so bad. It's so foolish. No, disagreement, imperfection, 
wrestling through issues in our lives. This is the process of discipleship. This is the process of character building. This is the journey of becoming the people that you want to be, the people that God wants us to be. See, selfishness insists on a predetermined outcome, but authenticity invites people into a loving process. Authenticity invites people into a loving process where you're willing to share the imperfections and, and embrace their help and learn from others who have strengths that would cover your weaknesses. That's why the body of Christ is so incredible because there's no reason by any of you should suffer from your greatest weaknesses. You know why? There's somebody else here who's sitting here right now who understands it, who can walk with you, who can apply their strengths in the middle of your weakness. God redeems us, then he works out his loving transformation in a community of loving relationships. Our authenticity, though, is key to establishing these honest, loving, and transformative relationships. When we can't be our true, authentic selves, our friends, our family, our spouse, we start to suffer with something called internal conflict because what we project is different than what's going on inside. And that wears us out. It wears us out emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. It's hard to keep up appearances, too embarrassing for pe to let people in. We, we begin to be filled with shame in our minds, and it begins to take a hold of us. We become isolated, lonely, afraid, and weak. We're unable to love people in that state. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Listen, the reason we want you to join a group, the reason why we want you to sign up for Catalyst is there's a small group of people that you're going to go through life with, that you're going to go through this season of your life with, and you're going you're gonna to open up. And in that opening up, in that authentic experience, where you let people in, something incredible begins to happen. Those relationships begin. I've got, I've got incredible relationships from the last three semesters of Catalyst where I went through a small group with some guys, and we're going to, I mean, I can just see it. We're going to live life for a long time together because of what we experienced over the last year and a half. Finally, the last thing that I want you to see today is when you, if you want to have meaningful and loving relationships, there's something else that begins to happen as you understand your profound significance, as you hold firm to un unswervingly to your to authenticity. And the third thing is that happens is you start to have something go on in your life. It's called self-giving love. Self-giving love. This is when life gets really exciting because now you're beginning to transcend your own boundaries, recognizing other people's needs. You don't just see yourself. You start to see others. You see them for how they really are, but then with the love of Christ in your life, you begin to embrace them, even in their imperfections. You get the power and the strength to begin to put up with other people's craziness. I think she's saying something to you, Floyd. Uh, so, um, so I think, I think this is like something that happens as we start to understand what God has in mind for us in our relationship. Jesus said, if you want to revolutionize your relationships, then walk an extra mile. Be generous with what you have. Live as a blessing, even in the face of hatred or persecution. And every time you do this, you're practicing self-giving love. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 just kind of continues here. 
And the Message Bible says, and mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring out yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. What happens if you're not quick at mending fences out on the farm or the ranch? Everybody gets out. Or worse, wolves get in. Um, there is, there's, there's all kinds of things bad that happen when our fences go down and we don't understand how to mend them. And, and so our relationships with each other are so important that we address these things in a self-giving love. N- not just in a self-sacrifice, but a self-giving love that embraces them. The brilliant author and theologian Henry J.M. Nowen, he said this. He said, our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. Every sociologist, every statistic, that, every study that's been done, it has this at its root. It says, the greatest fulfillment in our lives is when we give ourselves away and make a difference in somebody else. There's nothing, there's nothing more incredible than that. And so I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to bow your head. I think we've got one more little thing on your, on your message notes if you want to fill that in. God wants to restore to us the art of giving and receiving love. Giving and receiving love. So much of our experience as a human, I think, is tied up in our faulty way of receiving love and our faulty way of giving love. I think God, I think His whole plan, his whole purpose has to do with this fundamental idea. The gospel is about you understanding how to receive God's love. And then it it transitions to this, this way of pouring out his love to others. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I think this is the center of the gospel. God's trying to help you and I give and receive love. So I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Allen. He's going to come up and lead you through communion because we're going to come to the Lord's table. But I want you to just to close your eyes right here, right now, and I want us to pray together. And I want us to ask God to teach us, to help us, to provide for us, to eradicate fear, to reach down on the inside of us and change the way we see the world, to eliminate self-talk and replace it with love and faith, to eradicate fear in our lives and to let Him produce our authentic selves to the world. Father, we just come to You and we ask You to heal us. So many of us have experienced hurt and woundedness in our past and many of our own families have created that hurt would you would you begin today to heal that father so many of us want what we're talking about today but we're not sure how to get get us there lord would you send us on a journey today of self reflection of evaluation and then getting good things into us from your scripture and from teachers and and from the community here in Lake Travis and, and that we would take the risk, help us take the risks associated with becoming all that you want us to be. Lord, help us to understand our identity in you. Lord, forgive us. Heal us. Redeem us put us on a new path 
Help us to be who you've called us to be. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm on my way to Austin right now because I'm speaking there, but it's been a privilege to speak with you and just have church with you. I love you. And so Alan's going to lead you through uh, communion. Thanks, Ross.